Please pray with me. Bless God, eternal goodness, righteousness, and truth forever. Blessed you are, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Grant us that pure and holy spirit that our hearts may be right with your law written on them, that the inspiration of our thoughts may be true and all our ways truly righteous. Pour down your spirit that we might be filled up into your presence, that we might dwell in righteousness and live forever bathed in your truth. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. may be seated. The text that we're going to think about is the gospel text that was read just a moment ago, sometimes known as the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 16 through 20, the Great Commission, Matthew 28. And I believe that this text is here to teach us that God is on mission. God is on mission. I was in Israel several years ago, and I was at the place uh, where Jesus ascended. I got to see a lot of the sights there. And um, when I read this, I, I thought about this passage. I thought about my time there, because 2,000 years ago, Jesus told the disciples to go, therefore, make disciples, baptize them, teach them everything, and I'm with you. And 2,000 years later, I am preaching in Little Rock, Arkansas, bearing witness to what the apostles were told to do. That is not a small thing at all. God is on mission. I mean, I don't know how far Jerusalem is in terms of how far the crow flies from here to Little Rock. That's the only way I measure distance anymore is by how crows fly. I don't know how far that distance is, but here we are in North America, in the state of Arkansas, proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus 2,000 years, not just 2,000 years time, but also distance. Ernest Gordon was a British officer captured by the Japanese during World War II, and the Japanese, they treated their prisoners of war brutally, forcing them to work in horrific conditions to build a railway through the thick jungle. More than 80,000 men died as a result. The conditions in the prison camp were equally horrific. It was a dog-eat-dog experience, existence as people fought for their own survival. However, a breakthrough came one day. One of the returning groups uh, after they came, they got done for the day, they came back, they were missing a shovel, and the Japanese guard made it clear that if the shovel was not returned immediately, he would kill the entire group. No one came forward. So the guard lifted up his rifle to shoot, and one man stepped forward and said, it was mine. And he took responsibility. The guard responded by beating him to death in front of the group, Traumatized by what they had seen, the group later found out the guards had actually just miscounted the shovels. That heroic act of courage and sacrifice transformed the camp, though. Gordon himself recalls, death was still with us, no doubt about that, but we were slowly being freed from its destructive grip. We were seeing for ourselves the sharp contrast between the forces that made for life and death. Selfishness, hatred, envy, jealousy, greed, self-indulgence, and pride were anti-life. Love, heroism, self-sacrifice, sympathy, mercy, integrity, and creative faith, on the other hand, were the essence of life, turning existence into living in its truest sense. These were the gifts of God to men. 
True, there was hatred, but there was also love. There was death, but there was also life. God had not left us. He was with us, calling us to live the divine life of fellowship. In his book, Rumors of Another World, Philip Yancey explains how the rule of heaven pervaded this camp after the breakthrough moment of losing the shovel, of misplacing the shovel and the man being beaten to death. He writes, the prisoners began to choose love over hate, to serve rather than be served, and to put others first. Ultimately, they chose life over death and started building a community in which everyone could flourish. As part of this, the prisoners pulled their gifts to form a jungle university. Gordon taught philosophy and ethics. Other prisoners taught history, economic, maths, natural sciences, and at least nine languages. They created galleries exhibiting the work of artists in the community. They made instruments and performed their compositions to the camp. They even built a church as a place of worship. And Yancey describes their community as a picture of the kingdom and a foretaste of God's coming reign. It was a gathering of God's people living in and living out the story of God. The prisoners formed a community of compassion, courage, and creativity. And their task is very much our task today. To plant settlements in advance of that coming reign because God is still on mission. I can't imagine what it was like for the apostles to wonder, the disciples, how they were going to get this done, right? Jesus just died a few weeks ago. That's pretty traumatic. Jesus just rose from the dead a few weeks ago. That is also pretty jarring and traumatic. This is a ragtag group of disciples, fishermen. I don't know if you've met very many fishermen. I've met a few. Some of them are smelly. These ragtag, I mean, tax collectors and fishermen. You're supposed to go make disciples of all nations? How are you going to do that? How would they take the command of Jesus seriously to do this and make disciples? Rome feels huge. Judaism was powerful. They just killed their rabbi. Things are tense. How are they going to do that? Well, we find the answer in Acts 1-4 when Luke writes, Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. And then further in verse 8 of chapter 1, it says, But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and all the ends of the earth. How are you going to do that, disciples? First thing you're going to do is wait. Then what? The Holy Spirit would come. Disciples, you actually can't do this. You don't have the power to do this. And besides, if you were in charge, you would not do it the way that it's actually going to be done. No one would choose to have grown the church like God did through sacrifice and struggle and persecution. But this is God's mission, so it is done in God's time with God's power. The Holy Spirit comes, the third person of the Trinity. Holy Spirit power, it is just awesome. It is God's mission, and we need God's power, and it's going to be different than we would have expected. I mean, who would have thought that prisoners of war during World War II would build a church and that community around Who would have thought that all of the apostles save John were martyred? And how are they going to do that? Peter was crucified upside down in Rome. Matthew was most likely killed in Ethiopia, killed by a sword. James was thrown off the temple over 100 feet, survived the fall, but when they found him alive, they beat him with a club to death. Bartholomew was flayed to death by a whip. Andrew was crucified, and it goes as he was going to the cross. He says, I have long desired and expected this happy hour. 
This cross has been consecrated by the body of Christ hanging on it. And he continued to preach to his tormentors for two days until he died. Thomas was stabbed in India. Matthias was stoned and beheaded. Paul was beheaded. And even though all of them were killed for the lordship of Jesus Christ. Oh, and and rumor has it that John, even though he, he wasn't martyred, rumor has it that he was boiled alive and supernaturally he was rescued and then he died in later age. They tried to kill him, but they couldn't. 2,000 years later, here I stand after all of the apostles have been martyred for their faith, bearing witness in Little Rock, Arkansas, to the resurrection of Jesus. How does that happen? Because God is still on mission. And what God sets out to accomplish, he accomplishes. All of the things that some of us are scared about in our current culture and upcoming election, all the things, while I'm concerned, I don't think it's the end of the world because I believe the world is in God's hands. Do you remember that song, he's got the whole world in his hands? He's got the little babies in his hands. He's got you and me, sister. He's got you and me, brother. St. Andrew's Church, do you believe that? As Christians, we have to avoid the doom and gloom that this is the worst election ever. Every election has been the worst election ever. (laughs) If 2,000 years later, the apostles had been killed for their faith, for the lordship of Jesus, for this message, and now someone in Little Rock, Arkansas is still doing it, then it stands to reason that God accomplishes what he sets out. Do you know how I know that it isn't true that the world is just about to end? It's not true because all authority has been given to Jesus Christ and he is with us to the end of the age. All authority has been given to Jesus Christ. I know many of you know Koine Greek really well, biblical Greek, and the Greek word for all there means all. All of it. Every single speck of authority belongs to Jesus Christ, and he is with us. He did not abandon the prisoners in the concentration camp in World War II in Japan. He has not abandoned us today. When most of you are going to go home and close your eyes on a couch or a lazy boy, you're not in some sort of work camp. He has not abandoned you. He has not abandoned them. He has not abandoned us. Don't fear take heart. God is on mission, and what God sets out to accomplish, God accomplishes. God's word does not return void. God is on a mission to make disciples because you and I change the world when we become like Jesus. You and I change the world when we become like Jesus. That's what Jesus said to do, isn't it? Go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all that I commanded. As in it, we in the church, we like to argue with Jesus. And I was in a church not too long ago, seeing a friend get baptized, and there was a lot of different beliefs about baptism, but their pastor, before they baptized the person, he talked a lot about how you don't really have to get baptized. And I'm thinking, Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I'm thinking, if Jesus is here across the table, are you really going to want to tell him, I don't have to do that? And yet we've made the commands of Jesus into loopholes to be the smartest with theology. St. Andrew's Church, go and obey. Be a disciple, an apprentice, a follower of Jesus Christ because you love him and he loves you and the best life is with him. Don't find a loophole. Last night, Madeline, she played a game recently and she said, Dad, um, is loophole a cheating? 
And I said, yes. And she said, and then she explained it. She was trying to get away that she might have cheated. And I said, yeah, you cheated. And I feel like we sometimes do that with the faith. We, we try and theologize away from what's actually happening here. Go make disciples. Teach them what Jesus said and then go do that things. Be baptized into the church. Quit worrying about the minimum to get by with your faith. See, living under grace is not about what you can do, what you don't have to do. Grace is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to do what you can't do by yourself. Grace says, do I have to? No, law says, take it back. Law says, do I have to do that? Do I have to get baptized? Do I have to give so much? What what do I have to do? Grace says, I will follow Jesus, period. Period. I mean, can you imagine if I took that wife attitude with my wife every so often? Her birthday's in October, and then Christmas. Valentine's is coming up. Our anniversary is in January. Can you imagine on Valentine's if I said, Deborah, I mean, I just did something for your, our anniversary, and that should be good enough. And yet some of us have taken that attitude with the Lord Jesus Christ that we take his commands as some sort of option and we theologize our way out of actual obedience. What does it mean to be a disciple? It means to be baptized in the community called the church and then follow and obey Jesus. And here's something to note. Some of us reduce discipleship to theological information where we don't really feel like we're growing unless we're learning more stuff. We become scavenger hunts for sermons and lessons that we've never heard before to try and get more stuff. We don't really feel like we're growing unless we're learning new stuff. You know, in the scripture it says, I write these things to remind you of what you already know. And it's not really about Christ-like transformation. It becomes more about theological information. One of Jesus' commands is to love all people, even my enemies. I think forgiveness is the hardest command in Scripture for Christians. When the offense ruins your soul. I think that's the hardest command. One of Jesus' commands, love all people. For those of you who don't know, I have a degree in Bible, which is the most useful degree in the entire world. Yep. Every CEO is wondering tomorrow morning in the boardroom how they can get me on their team. My LinkedIn box just never stops because they're wondering. I mean, this is serious stuff. I got a, they're interested in my thoughts on the Bible. Now, I have given my life vocationally, educationally, privately, to the study of this book in all sorts of ways. I know this book. I don't know it the most by a far stretch, but I know the Bible. I do. But let's say after church you see me at a restaurant being mean to the wait staff, just verbally abusive, verbally abusive to the wait staff. And you saw me here preaching. You know those things don't match up, right? And yet, I know the Bible. I know the Bible. Because it's not really about theological information, even though theological information is important. It's about spiritual transformation. Are you more transformed to become like Jesus? That's how God changes the world. 
I wonder if there are any here in here when we hear things like what Jesus says, teaching and obey, we almost cringe because it sounds dry, right? It almost sounds, oh, I, I got to do this. And I want, I want you to hear me this morning that loved ones, don't think of obedience like a test. Think of it like a loving apprenticeship, that the way we become more like Jesus is to spend time with Jesus. The way we learn what Jesus said and to obey what he said is to learn what he said. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. There's a grandfather clock uh, that me and a friend built sitting in my living room, and its match is sitting in Kentucky, in a living room in Kentucky. My former mentor and I, Jim, I met with him twice a week in his workshop, and he taught me everything I knew about woodworking, which isn't now a whole lot because it's been several years ago. Before I met him, my philosophy of woodworking was get your wood, measure once, cut three times, cuss a little, repent and ask for forgiveness, go buy more wood, throw everything out and just go buy it what you need. That was my philosophy. But I spent time with a woodworker and I learned how to work with wood. And there are some things when you do that that are just caught, not taught, just by spending time with the woodworker. You're not going to get it through it. I'm just spending time with the woodworker. And for a year, twice a week, we built these grandfather clocks. And Went there, went to the lumber yard one time and picked out cherry wood. And I remember spending so much time planing and sanding and uh, routing and doing all the things to get these uh, grandfather clocks. And we have two of them. For those of you who feel unqualified to the task of Matthew 28, of the Great Commission, here's what I want you to do. Immerse yourself in the life of Jesus And ask these questions when you read the life of Jesus, the story of the Bible, the big picture of the Bible. But what did Jesus say? What did he do? Holy Spirit, I need your help to be like this. And then go and do it. And trust God with the process. If you can do that, you're a disciple of Jesus. See, some of us only like to sit through teaching when we feel like we're learning something new. But I feel like some of us could probably go back to the kids' classes right now and be more productive than we think we are because we only feel like we're being productive when we're on a scavenger hunt to hear things we've never heard before. Someone who shares something I've never heard uh, knows more than me. And I don't really think that's fair. You really need to go to the kids' classroom and you need to do an art project to learn about God. Or did any of you grow up with flannel graph, right? Some of you didn't, but maybe Robert next year can get flannel graph in the budget and we can start using it. Uh, Because some of us just need to go back and listen to the stories of Jesus and get caught up in the stories of Jesus and ask, what did he do? What did he say? How can I be more like him? Holy Spirit, come to me, fill my life so I can become more like Jesus. A couple months ago, I'll tell that in a second. I want to tell this one first. The only Sunday school teacher that I have vivid memories of was Mrs. Dillon. She would sometimes let us swim in her pool. She was very nice. And she brought the students of that class notebooks. She went and bought students of the class notebooks so we could copy Bible, copy the Bible at every Sunday morning at the beginning of class. That's how I had Sunday school when we did Sunday school right and we learned the Bible. But it was hardcore. We copied scripture every week, Sunday morning. And because I was a preacher's kid, I was there for every Sunday school uh, copying scripture. And uh, what's she doing when she had us do that? She's taking the Great Commission in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples seriously. 
A couple months ago, our youngest daughter had a really bad nightmare about a monster, and it was so bad that she was scared to go to sleep the next night. She's terrified, and I understand that. I had very bad nightmares when I was her age, repetitive nightmares. And so the next night, she didn't want to go to sleep. Deborah talked about how Jesus protects us and prayed that he would continue to protect her, and she went to sleep. And what's Deborah doing when the mom does that? She's taking the Great Commission seriously that Jesus is bigger than our monsters. And he's worth loving. Don't overcomplicate this, loved ones. When it comes to the Great Commission and Jesus' command to go and make disciples, will you do for someone else what God has done for you? Will you help someone else to be caught up into the story and life of Christ? See, I believe there is an explicit business here for the church to make disciples of all nations. That's why we're involved in missions around the world to Haiti and prison ministry and school ministry, all people. But there is also an implicit command here for everyone to do what God has done for you because God is on mission. My time is coming to an end. So let me say this before I go. When I first read this passage in preparation for this sermon, my initial reaction was, how have I failed this? Because it feels daunting. Go and make disciples. And I began to think of how can I make this palatable for people? Because this is difficult. Then I thought, there's probably two different groups in our church. There's a a small handful who hear this message, and you might think that I have missed Matthew 28 because God is calling your heart to foreign missions. And you need to take that call seriously. And you need to get with people who can help discern if that is God's calling on your life because there are people like the apostles and maybe like you and people that we've supported who feel called to go do that and you should go do that. But there are also, when I look at the trajectory of Scripture and uh, like the seven churches to the book of uh, seven churches in Revelation, when Jesus writes to those churches, none of their command is like, hey, why are you still in that city? Go. He's talking to moms and dads and people who are tired and grandparents and uh, parents who are taking care of their parents and all the things. What do we say to those people? I had the privilege of preaching at Gig this past week, and every time I'm there, I see the same volunteers who are committed to recovery ministry. They take prayer seriously, and they're serving food and doing all the things. Why? Because they have joined God in his mission to people in recovery. My mom, the reason I'm a Christian is my mom read the Bible to me and my brother when I was younger. It's my earliest memory. Book of Joshua. Earliest memory is her reading scripture to me and my brother. She did for me what I need to do for my kids and someone else. And your charge this morning is would you do for your kids, your coworkers, your parents, the people around you, would you do for them what's been done for you? Would you join God in his mission? Because Jesus still has authority, he is still with us, and he is still moving. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.